Well, good morning. Welcome to everyone to the Ag Market Network monthly cotton teleconference. I'm Pat McClatchy. This is our April 13th edition of the program. Uh, today's program is sponsored by Fibermax and Stoneville. In addition to that, our longtime sponsor is also Cotton Incorporated. Today's lead speaker for our panel discussion is Dr. John Robinson. Uh, he will be uh, leading and joining our panel, Dr. O.A. Cleveland, Gerald Nieper, and Kip Butts. John, thanks for uh, joining us and leading us today in our cotton discussion. Well, thank you very much, Pat. Welcome, everybody. Good morning and happy Easter. Um, so the April WASD was, uh, I would say, a pretty notable report with the, change, the changes we saw on the world and, and U.S. balance sheets, many of which were out of the range of uh, most uh, pre-report uh, guesstimates or pundit expectations. So just focusing on the world numbers, um, the, the world balance sheet was adjusted uh, minimally on the on the supply side, we saw small changes to beginning stocks and what I would call typically small adjustments to production for this time of the year. That is to say, it was mostly in the Southern Hemisphere. It was a 200,000 bale increase in Brazilian production uh, was the main change there. However, the the consumption side, the, the trade categories and the mill use category were adjusted hugely. Um, and, you know, adjusted in apparent response to either observed indicators of the world economy or the likely recessionary impacts of the COVID-19 pandemic. So uh, the trade categories, uh, that is, projected uh, world cotton imports and exports were both lowered roughly 3 million bales each. And... If you looked at it, all the major exporters showed decreases in exports. All the major importers showed uh, decreases in imports. Uh, world consumption was dramatically reduced by over 7.5 million bales in April compared to March. Um, and, and that went mostly to the bottom line of world-ending stocks um, was increased 7.9 million bales month over month. Now, sitting here um, sheltering at my house, I can't tell you if that's a, a world a world record adjustment or not, but it's huge. It's it's huge. Now, something that might take the edge off of it is that 60% of the monthly increase happened in three countries, China, India, and the United States, all of which are supporting all of those governments are supporting uh, cotton prices in their in their country. Sixty percent of the adjustment and sixty three percent of the resulting level of world ending stocks are distributed in those three countries. So, the normal bearish price implication that would come from such a burdensome month over month increase might be slightly buffered by the fact that those governments are spending taxpayer money to support cotton prices. So maybe the the actual impact on those markets in those countries and in the world may not be as dramatic. We'll see. Um, looking at the U.S., the April WASDE was also somewhat dramatic in the adjustments. Again, on the demand side, there were no changes on the production side, um, but there were substantial, if not historic, uh, monthly adjustments to consumption and, and particularly to exports. So consumption, U.S. consumption, 
was lowered 100,000 bales from 3 to 2.9 million. And U.S. exports were lowered a whopping 1.5 million bales from 16.5 to 15. And, and USDA attributed um, those adjustments to the global economic slowdown, again, as a result of the pandemic. So that's 1.6 uh, million uh, fewer bales of consumption that went straight to the bottom line and lowered 1920 ending stocks from 5.1 million. Are you raised it? Sorry, from 5.1 million to 6.7. My interpretation of that is U.S. ending stocks went from kind of a neutral implication, you know, kind of treading water compared to the previous year, from a neutral to a to a bearish uh, fundamental level. Um, in percent terms, that would be increasing from 26% stocks to use to 37% stocks to use. And that's, you know, by the numbers, that's bearish any way you slice it. Um, we'll talk about it. The, the markets didn't really react um, that way on Thursday. Now, there may have been other reasons. Perhaps this was already anticipated. That's the job of markets is to anticipate and, you know, discount things. Um, perhaps the ag commodity markets were supported last week by the strength in the oil markets. You know, there were some policy announcements. The OPEC countries and the Russians were slowing down production, and that lifted oil, and perhaps that lent some strength to other ag commodities. Or <clears throat> perhaps all the commodity markets and the speculators that dominate them are under the influence by what the Federal Reserve is doing, which is somewhat unprecedented levels of stimulus, and other central banks are doing that too. Or perhaps just the dynamics last week, we had, you know, we had a, um, a technical, positive technical signal, um, was it Monday of last week, and that seemed to kind of carry a market along, and maybe the dynamics of the, the pre-report dynamics and the pre-holiday trading dynamics just kept the lid on the selling. Um, I don't know. But anyway, the market didn't really react to, to as bearish uh, end of the week numbers as I as I thought it might. I'll wind up with this. So, the uh, to my simple way of thinking, when when I think about this, uh, what's happened to the cotton market, you know, depending on where you start counting, cotton prices have fallen seventeen, eighteen, even twenty cents, depending on when you start. It's been a big, big fall, and part of that, the beginning part of it. I would say is due to just fear and panic, you know, animal spirits. Same reason stock markets were tumbling when this pandemic first happened. So there's the fear and panic portion. And then there's the real damage to demand portion. If you think about, just think about the spring uh, apparel sales in the United States that didn't happen because, well, they didn't have to buy all those Easter dresses and the stores were closed and the consumers were sitting at home, you know, that effect all around the world. So that, that's got to be a real effect, which may carry into the fall winter season. I don't know what the retailers are going to do, um, not having made the sales here in the spring. Anyway, there's a demand effect that's going to have to be worked through. And that's, 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 the market has accounted for that too. 
my point is it's going to take a long time for the for the real demand damage part of this to get resolved even if this is a big if but even if on the medical front even if there's a near-term solution whatever it is a, a flattening of the of the infection curves or, you know a drop in the rates of infection or a vaccine or whatever if there's a medical solution tomorrow you know a lot of the fear and panic might go out but the, you know to my simple way of thinking that that may that would certainly give us a relief in you know stock markets and commodity markets and the cotton market too but it would obviously it would it would only be partial relief I think it, something like that, it's all purely hypothetical, but something like that might lift us back towards, towards 60 cents. But what's going to, and I just picked that number, but, um, but it's going to take a long time. It's going to take many, many, many months. If there was a resolution tomorrow in the medical side, it's going to take many, many, many months to fix, I think, the damage that's been done just by kind of disrupting everything in the cotton supply chain going from from the apparel the retail market all the way back up to to the lint markets it's going to take a long time and it may well be into 2021 before before um those markets do normalize assuming we get a near-term fix on the medical side and i'm talking out of my league pat so i'm going to stop right there and, and hand it back to you okay well let's just open it up for everybody's thoughts well first i want to thank you john that was very, that was an excellent recap of the WASI report. Uh, we did see a lot of uh, very um, unusual and I won't say unprecedented, but certainly uh, particularly for the circumstance, but uh, numbers that were quite different, I think, than most people were looking at. Um, I remember looking at it, and we had a long weekend, so I spent a little bit more time on it. But if you think about it, they took about three and a half weeks of con of global consumption out of their numbers. And granted, your, your point's well taken. Much of that was in, uh, in the, the three big producers, uh, or two big producers, actually, and then some Southeast and Asian importers. But uh, the bottom line is with India essentially shut down. Pakistan essentially shut down. We know that China was shut down for a while, and they're still not back 100%. Uh, in looking at those numbers, and my jaw sort of dropped a little bit, and I went, wow, that is a big move for USDA. The longer I looked at it, the more I thought they might have, uh, they could have been a, a bit conservative, in, in, because it's hard to gauge the impact of literally shutting down a country. To your point, yeah. nobody's going to buy the, uh, the Easter dresses if nobody can see it but you. So even the uh, the online shopping, I'm sure, took a, a pretty good hit, at least for apparel. Now, some other things, eh, maybe picked up. But th these are uh, unusual times, and they're very difficult to forecast right now. I, uh, I appreciate your commentary on that. I think it's, it's, uh, it was very insightful. Are they still making Easter dresses out of cotton? <laughs> I, I, I would I would hope so. <laughs> Good morning, Joe. Hey. Um, 
You know, what really stands out to me is when you look at the world less China ending stock numbers, you know, you're 56 million bales versus what, around 40 million or 40, you know, two, 44 million last year. Um, it's, uh, it, it, it's quite amazing. Yeah, I think the numbers were were kind of already baked into expectations, and so we had this rally going. But uh, there is still a lot of cotton to be consumed around the world, and I don't know how you get from from where you are today to getting that stuff worked off the marketplace. Who's cutting production next year? You know, we've already seen USDA uh, acreage expectations <laughs> for this next year. Um, you know. I mean, there's some. There's going to be some cuts here and there. You know, Pakistan looks like uh, there was an article over the weekend. I guess it was. I, I saw some. You know, Pakistan acreage could uh, could suffer some as some of these growers shift over to sugarcane. Apparently, sugarcane industry is quite well uh, uh, supported in Pakistan. Um, so you could see see some changes there. And there have been reports of here and there some some cuts, but. Uh, you know, major cuts around the world to to reduce consumption. I mean, I think without a weather event, I just don't see how you're going to uh, to cut to cut production very much going into this next year. And uh, are we expecting further cuts in in you in U.S. and world consumption as we as we move forward? Probably. I mean. I don't know how you could jump from 110 back up to 121 million this next year. I don't know that we'll see a lot of downside to consumption, but um, for 2020, but uh, uh, certainly a lot of upside seems uh, seems questionable at best. So you're st- you're going to add another what I don't know five to eight million bales to world-ending stocks going into 2020. Um, the uh, the fact that we rallied on Thursday is is still somewhat uh, surprising, unless it's just a real short term phenomenon. And I guess today kind of bears that out. I mean, we're we're backing down a little bit in here. Having said that, you know, John, you pointed out that you know technically this thing looks better, um, and uh, if if we can somehow get through this week. With a higher close and, and certainly a, a, a higher high than or a higher low than last week, <clears throat> you know, for some inexplicable reason, I think we've got a legitimate shot at 58 to 60 cents on the nearby, and it probably will drag December up with it. So it's, uh, you know, some of these mysteries won't be revealed till later, but uh, it, uh, you know, from a technical perspective, the market looks okay, despite all the negative negativity out there associated with the virus and, and consumption and a lot of cotton running around the world looking for a home. Uh, the market looks okay. Oh, yeah, I made a good point about, about the technicals. Um, volume has been pretty brisk overall during this entire time. I'm just wondering how much faith we should put in these market moves when uh, – when there's such an incredible amount of uncertainty. I, I hear what you're saying. Technically, the market is poised. I, what little I know of technicals to move a little higher. Uh, but should we trust that? Is that some, isn't this all still couched in 
and what goes on with this virus and how long and, and whether the, uh, we come up with, um, with a, a solution of some kind in the short term. I, I, that's just a question. I'm just wondering what your thoughts are on that. Uh, has OA joined us? I'm here, Pat. Thank you. Good morning to y'all. Happy Easter. Eggs. What are your thoughts on the market, OA? Well, I am I'm certainly worn out. It's just as everyone else is, so that's nothing new eventful. Uh, I, the man said I certainly worn us out. I am of the opinion, as I think uh, John may have mentioned, that uh, uh, the, the, the trade had built all these adjustments into the market already and had started taking prices a little bit higher. Uh, I do think the trade has been good. Uh, I, I, I would have terribly surprised that USDA took such a bold and aggressive move in changing their month-on-month figures. They certainly never have before, but at the same time, I think it just basically says their March estimate, uh, they should have made changes there of consequence and really didn't make any, so they had a ton of catching up to do. Uh, but nevertheless, we've, we've got the number we have, and I, I was wondering with, uh, with the group on the idea that pr- production in the coming season is not going to come down. Uh, I don't think there's any question that U.S. production will come down. Uh, uh, the people of the, the gentleman I spend most of my time with in India tells me that they're going to come down. Uh, and, uh, of course, China has snow, wind, rains every year this time of year. So the, the reports that they're having it now is, is that are absolutely nothing new. But uh, I think all of these countries are going to be faced with the idea that their inputs are going to be somewhat limited. Uh, certainly their, their diesel uh, will be less expensive. But I also think that their access to cash in many of these countries is going to be somewhat limited. And I think then that's going back for a less expensive crop in some areas. So I have nothing left to do but just pin my hopes on the production side. Uh, That's that's, that's where I come out. uh, I think we'll be very surprised at how quick demand can come back once it begins to come back. And we don't know still when that will be. I know from the university's perspective uh, at Mississippi State, they have zero plans uh, uh, after the end of August. They are just sitting here uh, sheltering in place and doing everything online through summer school, but have publicly acknowledged that they, they're not making any plans beginning in August as to whether they take students back or not or everything remains online. Uh, they're just holding off, and I suspect that's the case with many universities. Uh, so we, we're just sitting here, spinning. Thank you. Oh, I, you know, um, <clears throat> I was going to say uh, it may well be that 
production is going to be lower and that U.S. production is going to be lower, but it's going to be a while before USDA well, let me just put it this way. It's going to be a challenge for them to account for it because I think they're stuck with their acreage number for the next couple of months. Until until they get a June acreage number, they're going to have to figure their balance sheet with whatever that was, 13.7 million planted. So, I mean, it's it's going to be a big number. I, I, I don't think they can work that much assumed abandonment into it to to take a big cut out of it. So it's going to be a while before it's reflected officially is what I'm saying. Well, now, I do understand what you're saying. Uh, I, I I would say that if if the government can pump out $2 trillion plus dollars in a week, <laughs> USDA can figure out a way to they can do uh, adjust a few million acres of planted cotton. Yeah. Uh, particularly given that, the, the, as you said, the historic changes they made in supply and demand in one month period, when they had uh, much of it, this information the prior month, they made almost no changes. Uh, so yeah, I, it doesn't matter the changes were there. They've been made. That's, that's the bottom line. But some of these changes likely should have been done the prior month, and I think that's what the market replied when it saw those big changes. It said, well, some of the, a lot of this started happening last month. This is nothing new. Uh, but uh, well, we've got problems. <laughs> Gerald and I were talking, and Gerald was very enlightening to me. Uh, Gerald, I don't want to misrepresent you, uh, but talking about what the cash price a guy can get, a grower can get, Coupled with the uh, market loan gain, uh, prices are north of sixty. Or, you know, they're around sixty-five cents today. What a girl can take home, and uh, that's that's not a bad price. It's not it's not what they want. It's not what a many grower will tell you he has to have to break even, but it is a break-even price for many many growers. So it, it's it's not Katie bar the door, and it certainly gives us hope. And then you come back with the seed cotton payment, and all of a sudden you start pressing a price received by growers up towards seventy cents. So uh, that's that's going to get plantings here in the United States. I think uh, it's going to make up for some of the COVID decrease in price, but I don't know. To what extent, and 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 you may disagree with some of those numbers that I threw out there. Um, you know, uh, of course, USDA, or uh, along with the two point three trillion dollars, and I guess this was somewhat uh, cooked into those numbers, but uh, is is extending the loan from nine months to twelve months. You know, that's got to be a little bit helpful. I mean, it gives a grower another three months to sit there and decide whether or not he wants to sell his cotton. Um, I guess that is going to possibly lock up some cotton until we get into uh, into the new crop. I mean, you know, a lot of these loans would expire normally in, what, September? Um, August, September, that time period. And now you're looking at... Uh, 
uh, October, November, December before a lot of them will have to expire. So, you know, um, we, we, we almost have our own little uh, reserve program going on here in, in, in the United States just by extending that loan by another three months. I, I don't know that that's having a big impact on price or, or any impact, but, you know, it, uh, it may be having a little bit more of an impact than, than we've given it, than I've given it credit for. What uh, what do you guys think? What what is and this this is a tough question I know, but what do you think, uh, Gerald? The, the range of cotton should be going forward over the next month. How low? How high? What what are you thinking? <laughs> sure, it's not um, a hard question, is it? <laughs> no, no, not at all. I, I'm shocked that we got. That we were able to to recover back up to uh, you know 54 cents in May. I thought we were going to spend maybe the the rest of this crop year, you know, hovering in that 46 to 51, you know, 47 to 52 cent range, something like that. Uh, but but I'm happy to see it, and it, it makes me think that you know uh, it is a futures market, and sometimes the market knows more than than what uh, um, you know we think we know. So uh, um, I thought, okay, good. You know, maybe there's something going on out here that's uh, a, a little friendlier. You know, to, to always uh, point. You know, maybe there are countries that are going to cut back more than than what we think on on their acreage estimates and, and lock production down. I just don't think you can knock production down to where consumption is. Even if they left consumption alone for 2020 at 110 million, I don't think you're going to go from you know, 120 million bales of world production down to down to 110, and basically give us a, an even balance sheet. But uh, um, and it all depends on on where those cuts come from. You know, hopefully you'd like to you'd, you'd see them. You'd like to see them come from like an India and a Brazil, uh, the uh, you know our our competitors in in the uh, in the export market. Um, the um, um, you know I think we've got a decent shot for whatever reason to to get up to fifty eight cents in May, and maybe an outside shot to get to sixty cents, but uh, I think that's gonna that, that will be based upon a, a successful bounce off of fifty two cents on on the May contract, um, and if if May rallies pretty well it's going to drag December up with it and and uh, I, I just think we will struggle at 60 cents without some real um, changes in, in the fundamental supply demand numbers as we know them today what about the low end the low end um, I don't know that we won't go back down to 48 cents at some point and maybe even take out 48 cents and run down to somewhere in the 46 cent range. So, you know, that's a pretty wide range, which means I don't know what's going to happen. <laughs> um, you know, 46 to 60 cents between now and let's say uh, the end of the the calendar year. Uh, what about you, Kip? What are your what's your range? Um, we are just kind of 
poking in the dark, I think, here, um, because there's so many factors that could change and could change the trader mentality. I think that 60 cents is a bit rich. Um, I think it might be a struggle to get there, but at the same time, uh, I say uh, my thought is that that's that's going to be hard to reach. But I, I can't can't necessarily sit here and say, oh, it can't happen because uh, it, this is a technically technically inspired market right now. So we can take prices all kinds of places. My bias would be that we we probably visit uh, at some point. In, Given the current situation, and it doesn't get, you know, I can put 12 ifs in this before I finish, but uh, what it looks like now, we may go see the mid-40s. I don't know we hold it very long. we we'll are probably get in the trading range from about 46, 47 to 52, 53 cents, 54 maybe. But I think the high end 60 cents is going to be pretty tough to reach without some sort of a change, as John mentioned earlier. Uh, in this this virus uh, situation. Okay, John, what are your projections? Uh, well, Kip says we're probing in the dark, and I'm thinking, well, <laughs> that's what we pretty much always do every month. But this is a more unprecedented time. I'm just thinking simply, I would say 47 to 57 seems like a likely trading range and pretty much reflects the Gerald's logic and Kip's points as well. So... Okay, OA? Uh, I would fall right in there, a low end of 47, 40 cents, and uh, 60 cents on the top end. Uh, again, uh, even a little bit, bit wider range than they presented, but uh, uh, with just a penny or so on either side. So uh, difficult not to see it that way. I forget which one of them said it, but would like to just see it that way for the remainder of the year. Uh, but uh, it, it's, uh, you know, the, all this extreme bearishness that we've had, and then the market comes out and trades higher on what, to me, was the absolute most bearish supply-demand report I have ever seen in my life in any commodity. And the market trades higher. So all I know to say is it must have been a bullish report. We just didn't know how to read it. Uh, uh, that, that would be the historical logic of these reports. So, uh, but I, I, I cannot get beyond the sixty cents uh, as far out as I can see into uh, the two thousand. Uh, excuse me, yeah, two thousand and twenty. I can see the market becoming more aggressive price-wise in the uh, May twenty. 21 contract and certainly the July 21 contract through tail end of this crop we're getting ready to put in the ground. All right. Uh, if anyone's got a question out there, and we're wrapping this up, but we want to do something we've never done before, and I'm going to unmute this phone. And if, you've, if anybody out there has got a question, you should be able just to speak it in, into your phone and ask the question of our group. So hold on just a second. Let's just give this a try. Anybody out there got a question for our cotton panel about the markets? No Whoa. questions? 
Okay. Well, I'm going to go ahead and take it back off again. Last chance. <laughs> uh, hang on. I got a question. <laughs> this is Steve Nichols. Uh, I'm in Lubbock, Texas. I'm with BASF. And uh, I was just wondering your you all's take on any acre shifts based on cotton prices staying down where they are. Uh, or if we can get some short-term uh, uptick here in the next week or two weeks and, say, get up toward that 60 cents, uh, what would that might do to any acre shift going from cotton to another alternative crop? Anybody can take that. Well, I mean, obviously the – what's what's done in the in south texas just thinking of texas is what's done is done so the only possibility for shifts are from you north um and the rolling plains northern part of the rolling plains um some of that they've they're already passed the decision about keeping wheat or not so i don't know that 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 ground is in play so it's really a question of can you make last-minute adjustments to spring-planted crops, you know, corn corn or sorghum versus cotton? And I don't, you know, that's a farm by, you know, it depends on your herbicide program. It depends on a lot of things. Can you get the seed? So I'm trying to say I don't know. <laughs> oh, wait, what about yeah, the think. Mid-South and the Delta? Oh, I think we're still looking uh, to make that decision. Uh the corn is, has been a favorite crop to switch to, but uh, with the price of ethanol and oil being what it is and no future relief in sight, uh, that takes a lot of bloom off of corn. Soybeans, uh, Brazilians, uh, it's just on the books we're going to eat our flour with respect to soybeans. So soybeans, the easy crop to go to and where a lot of folks would like to go to is just not going to have much price Yes, they're tending to look at beans out here, here in the Mid-South, and I think we'll lose some of our crop. Uh, I'm having trouble putting a good number on it. Uh, let me get back to Texas a minute, if I may, and uh, respect, with respect to a conversation Gerald and I had, and that's when prices have come up, and Gerald is still running, but uh, Texas growers are going to have to pull some cotton in just simply because prices have come back up and they've got to account for the insurance situation. Uh, right. Um, you know, you got some you got some timely rains down there along the coastal bend, and uh, their insurance uh, date was April 15th, so they had to go in and, and plant uh, uh, for, for insurance purposes. So, you know, insurance... Insurance definitely plays a, a, a role sometimes in, in how much gets planted or, or, or not planted. Um, I, I'm not, you know, I, I think some of those guys were thinking that, that they might not have had to, they would not have planted had they not gotten some uh, some timely rains here in the last uh, week. And that was driven purely for for insurance purposes. Any any other questions from our listeners? I think Kip's got the final answer to that question. I've been waiting right, to spring it. Right. <laughs> what would make you think that, O.A.? <laughs> <laughs> I woke up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. 
<laughs> yeah, it looks like you're trying to put me on the spot. I think soybeans are cheap, and if you have to borrow money, I think bankers are going to kind of push you that way because of the cotton price. But um, but I agree with, with always comments regarding corn, the, the lusters off of that because of the ethanol market. And um, I think cotton prices are not fantastic, but if you've committed yourself to cotton, you know, you're going to plant some just to, to, you know, you've got a picker or you've got, you. as uh, as I said earlier, you know, you, depending on your crop rotation, what you've already done with your land, I, I think we're going to lose a bit more cotton than what we saw. I don't think we're going to reach what we got in the uh, prospective planning report. So, and I think much of that, at least in the Mid-South and Southeast, is going to go to uh, to soybean some. Oh, away in in the Delta, of course, I mean, here it is almost mid-April, um, and given the weather, I don't know that a single acre has been planted in the Delta. Um, at what point do you start losing yield when you get uh, um, seed in the ground in, in the Delta? Yeah, and I guess right it depends question. on where you're at, but... It's been uh, it's been researching the theory in its year out forever and ever. The the principal agreement is that after May the twentieth we begin using yield, losing yield. Uh, that being said, those are the research uh, reports uh, and have been fairly consistent. Nevertheless, in those years dating back to the very early 1980s, uh, every year that we have been later planted than that, and including our latest planted years, we have tended to make what we'll call at the time a record yield. So <laughs> the reality has not matched the research, uh, but we still would like to say any time around after May 20th, May 23rd, uh, we begin to lose yield. But in the great big test in the sky, when we plant all of it, that just does not seem to come about. So the answer is May the 20th. All right. Any other questions? I have a question. This is Lindsay Bowers with the United Ag in El Campo, Texas. Um, You know, we've seen China's number, our stock numbers come down. are they at what point are we to the point where they start buying back up like they did what four or five years ago? I mean, is there a trigger, especially with the price and phase one? Gerald, um, I'm trying to figure out. You know, um, right off the top of my head, I don't know what the stock number of the reserve is right now. But I don't think they really want to go much below two million tons. Um, Kip, would you agree with that? I agree with that. I think you know, the last numbers I looked at for that drill was about nine point two. I think it's probably a little larger now because of the mill problems. But um, but I think it's around that number, maybe closer to nine now. But oh, me, you know, in terms of rebuilding those stocks, I I don't know where they'd want to take them to, you know, maybe, you know, maybe three to four million tons just to have something sitting around. 
and, and certainly prices are cheap enough now that uh, um, if they wanted to to build some stocks, they could do that um, because they a they've got some room and b they've got some commitments they need to make here with the United States as far as uh, uh, ag purchases. So, you know, maybe that's explaining why this market is stubbornly higher than we think because, you know, there's going to be kind of a, we wake up one week and China's bought uh, 2 million bales of cotton, you know, out of, out of the U.S. coffers. Well, I certainly think phase one, there's been no change in that. So I think that's in the back of their mind. We've seen China in the last report they did, in fact, had some cancellations. So it's kind of pushing them to buy at the back end. Uh, I, I think that their traditional sort of thought of where they want to be is, has been changed a bit because of this virus and the way the, uh, the mills have changed their consumption patterns. So I think Owe made the point earlier, and I think it's a good one. He didn't use the term pent-up demand, but I, I think he would agree that's a, a way to say it. I do think the consumers at some point will come in, and I think that's when you're going to see China say, okay, I'm going to quote load the boat. That believe they like the prices at these levels. I don't think they canceled. Uh, I think they canceled higher price sales. So they, those may come back on, but I think those are going to come back on in the next crop year, likely not this crop year, or at least the bigger numbers will come next year. And that's going to be really based on consumer demand. I'm afraid that's going, we're going to have a longer tail on consumer demand than uh, than it appears, at least at this point. I think this is going to take longer to solve, particularly with some of the textile sourcing problems, which we haven't discussed. Those are going to take a little bit longer, too, and kind of slow mill use for a slightly longer period of time. Okay. And if I may, yeah. we... Uh, we uh, what, we began seeing the market elevate a little over a week ago, and it gradually picked up and up daily. And what we also saw, and correct me, guys, I believe what we were also seeing was uh, we were seeing upticks in Chinese prices every day. And in that regard, I would suggest that, and this is something unusual, it certainly happened before in many seasons, the Chinese was the main indicator of price activity. And with the Chinese prices going up, it, it was bringing New York with it. And I think that's what we were seeing, uh, have been seeing. And, uh, uh, well, I'll just leave it at that. Oh, with one more question, uh, uh, just draw a line, Texas and California versus the rest of the world. What kind of acreage do you think we're going to see this year west of the Mississippi River? And what kind of acreage are we going to see east of the Mississippi River? Now, I'd have to tell you, I don't have those numbers in front of me, being that I'm sheltering in place. But uh, <laughs> what I'm asking is, is that uh, if any of you have them in front of you, what what are we going to see in Texas and California versus uh, versus the, the southeast and, and, and Delta? Anybody got a feel for that? I know we talked well, a great deal about Texas, so I'll just shut up for a minute. California's going to be lower. Uh, California Cotton Growers and Jenners Association, you know, they, they've recently done a, a, a survey of, of, 
of all the gens. And of course, the gens go out and, and uh, uh, you know get all their numbers from from their growers. Um, they're querying those guys all the, all the time in terms of uh, you know what are you going to plant? What are you going to plant? And uh, we're definitely going to see lower Pima acres here in California. These Pima prices just aren't uh, just aren't very uh, uh, you know attractive to, to these guys. Um, the um, so you know we're going to back off. And of course, California is so small anymore. You know, you could knock twenty-five thousand acres out of California, and uh, which is about you know we're probably talking twenty-five, maybe thirty thousand acres out of California, and and uh, you know that's a rounding error. You know, at the third decimal point, you know, so it's uh, it, it doesn't really mean a whole lot. It just uh, uh, west of Mississippi though includes that big state of Texas, John. Um, <laughs> 7.3 million well, acres. It's, uh, it's a, big a, I don't, I, I don't have my numbers in front of me, and B, I'm already wrong as heck when compared to what prospective <laughs> planting said. I was expecting, I was expecting a huge cut. I was expecting switches in South Texas to sorghum, and I was expecting a lot of kept wheat cover crops that were that were hung on to. And if you trust USDA. That didn't happen. Um, so, <laughs> so I don't know. I mean, USDA would suggest very little change year over year, um, and I was expecting a lot more. And the, the price relationships would have predicted a, a big switch, and 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 potential finance, farm finance, banker constraints would have predicted a big switch out of cotton. Mm-hmm. So. Remember, Texas, remember too, remember too, and I, I'm not defending this. I think they do very good work, but those price relationships didn't change dramatically until after their survey right. dates. Until the end of March, so, right, correct, correct. So That's so the only thing that really, Right, so that makes me think that USDA, uh, that NAS used their survey results, uh, and they were pretty strict about it. I don't think they say, oh, well, I'm, I'm going to change my mind, but uh, and just change the survey results. So I, I think that, to your point, John, it's gonna we got to wait till June. But if they had taken that survey two weeks later, the numbers might have looked quite different than what we did see. Yeah. Uh, that's so that's something to keep in mind as well. Yeah, I agree. All right, let's let's go ahead and wrap up. We've gone a little long here today. We want to uh, first thank our sponsors. Uh, Fibermax and Stoneville, and also Cotton Incorporated for making this program possible. Uh, I want to thank our speakers, our Cotton panel, led today by Dr. John Robinson, and uh, also thank you to our listeners. Uh, have a good uh, week, and we will uh, see you next month. Thanks to everyone. God damn, I just caught the damn tail end of it. <laughs>